0: Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Hartwig family, Barbara and Peter Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome to Ruckus, our weekly food for thought fight over the news of the day and the trends of the times. I'm Mike Shannon. The Ruckets join me shortly on our topics this week. Make way for clay at the ballot box. Make way for delay at KCI, and make no mistake, America is politically divided. Plus roasted toast. But we start with our newsmakers segment and take a look at Missouri politics. Our guest is a former state representative who resigned shortly before his term expired. To talk about why and much more is Clay County Republican Kevin Corlew an attorney with Shook, Hardy, and Bacon. Mr. Corlew, welcome to Ruckus. Good to have you in. Glad
1: to be here, Mike. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it.
0: It's our pleasure. Talk a bit about your experience in
1: the state legislature. When were you elected? How long did you serve? I was elected in 2014. Served four years. I was grateful for the experience. Uh, Honored uh, to be the people of Kansas City Northland in the legislature. Really honored to be there and be involved in some, uh, some strategic policy making at the time. It has been
0: reported that you left the legislature before your term actually expired because of the Clean Missouri Amendment, which said people serving in the legislature could not work as lobbyists for two years. I read, however, your quote where you said
1: that's not the case at all. That's not why you left early. Well, Mike, I'm an attorney, and I represent clients, and I advocate for them in court and, and in other places to, to make sure to, that we work and, and, and advocate for their needs. The Clean Missouri plan uh, on their two-year COOLING OFF PERIOD FOR LEGISLATURES IS VERY UNDEFINED. IT'S VERY BROAD AND JUST SAYS YOU CANNOT ADVOCATE OR BE A LOBBYIST BEFORE ANY GOVERNMENTAL ENTITY. I THINK THERE'S SOME PROBLEMS WITH THAT AND THAT'S RIPE FOR CHALLENGE IN COURT. Uh, IN in CONTRAST TO THAT, THE LEGISLATURE A COUPLE YEARS AGO PUT INTO PLACE A SIX MONTH COOLING OFF PERIOD AND IT WAS DIRECTED TOWARDS THE GENERAL ASSEMBLY. SO IF SOMEONE LIKE ME AS A uh, as a LEGISLATURE GETS OUT OF THE LEGISLATURE, I CAN'T GO BACK AND LOBBY MY colleagues. Colleagues, uh, for the next session, which makes sense. But to just say any governmental entity uh, puts at risk someone like me who might represent my clients before an administrative agency, b- before a zoning board, uh, or something of that effect. And so I, I thought with three weeks left um, in, in the, and not in session, it would be prudent for me Uh, to be able to to make sure that we don't cross some line unintentionally.
0: does it make some sense to have a period of time between when someone
1: leaves the legislature and when that person can lobby? I think it does. I mean, I think there's some ethics issues that are important there. Uh, However, it has to be narrowly tailored. It must be a short window. It must be directed towards where you think the conflict would occur. A conflict may be between a legislature, a legislator uh, lobbying the legislature, but to to be to put at risk somebody representing a client in front of a zoning board doesn't make any sense. And the length has to be narrowly tailored. Like any non-compete agreement, which this is essentially what it is. Do lobbyists perform a worthwhile function in the Missouri legislature? You know, I think lobbyists... And they get a bad rap a lot of lobbyists the Lobbyists do get a bad rap. However, I think what's, what's more important is to look at the special interests behind them and driving them. But the lobbyist uh, in himself or herself is simply... An advocate for somebody to to like like in court, or it's an advocate in the legislature to try to advance policies that are important to them. Uh, but the the position in of itself is not evil.
0: The Clean Missouri Amendment uh, calls for a nonpartisan demographer to redraw the state legislative districts after the 2020 census. Is there such a thing as a
1: nonpartisan demographer? You know, I think there's some real problems with that. And, and again, that's another aspect that might be uh, challenged in court. But the problems with that is is when you when, when somebody says, we want equal districts, we want 50, 50 districts of Republican and Democrat, that might sound good in principle. In fact, for me, who was a Republican serving in a district that only had 45 percent Republicans, that might sound uh, good for me. But, however, when you when you begin to look at what that really means, that you take a, an inner-city district that might be 90% uh, Democrat or a rural district that might be 90% Republican, and to draw a 50-50 district, you have to have these very odd-shaped districts where you take an inner-city district and draw it out to Sedalia, for instance. Um, I, I don't think that we, we really realize uh, what the impact of that is going to be. Do you think this is just district.
0: a Democratic plan to cut... Republican control of the state.
1: Well, I, and, and I think so. Uh, perhaps, be, but it's short-sighted because you know if we look at the history of things, the pendulum swings from Republican to Democrat, and to to try to make a, a system uh, to fit your needs in the immediate is is short-sighted and, and not worthwhile. Might it? you run again for some office? Uh, perhaps, Mike. At this time, I'm going to take some time. I've got three kids at home. I'm going to be invest in them. I'm going to work in the private sector, and I'm going to work in civic in the civic arena to try to bring uh, some of the things that I worked on in the legislature, for, inst- for instance, transportation, to try to bring the region together to become a world-class transportation and distribution center. Great to see you. Thanks for coming in come back in the future. Thank you, Mike. I'd be glad to. All right,
0: great. That is former Missouri State Rep Kevin Corlew. Now let's meet the panel and start a ruckus. Jeremy LeFevre is a former state legislator in Missouri and is now with Stateline Strategies. Annie Presley is a writer, publisher, and GOP fundraiser. Jamika Kendricks is an educator and education activist. And Patrick Toohey is director of municipal policy at the Show Me Institute of Free Market Think Tank. Welcome to all of you. Welcome back to all of you. Just think, while I was introducing the panel, there could have been at least 10 more Democrats announced they're running for president. <laughs> We don't know that for sure, however. It's obvious that the upcoming mayor's election will contain a lot of discussion about the issues surrounding construction of a new one-terminal KCI. It's been 14 months since voters gave overwhelming approval to a plan to abandon the current airport and build a new one. Still, crucial and critical decisions remain unmade. Mayor Sly James says council members, some of whom are running to succeed him, should take a chill pill and stop stoking fear. A Kansas City Star story says it's commonplace around the country for new airport construction to take more time than expected and for costs to be higher than expected. So, Patrick, do you accept this
2: premise? Well, I think the premise is true. Certainly big municipal projects often run into uh, you know, cost overruns, but we haven't even begun construction right? We're just at the negotiation phase. You're absolutely right. It's more than a year uh, after the, the people voted for something, but we don't know the cost. We don't know the details. The airlines uh, haven't even signed off on this. So I think there is a reason for concern. Uh, and just telling people to take a chill pill
0: is uh, is not sufficient. Well, Patrick, before the election, weren't people told that the deal was pretty well put together absolutely. and all set?
2: We, we had an idea of the cost, and we were going to start uh, on construction. I think it was going to be finished by November 2021. And then we were told later, uh, you know, the city manager said, well, that, uh, that number was never realistic. Jim Heater uh, on this program said that uh, he knew those numbers weren't real. So I, I think that people are absolutely right to be skeptical
0: because... Nothing we've been told from
2: City Hall has turned out to be true.
0: I think Jim Heater was saying city officials knew those numbers weren't accurate uh, as well. Apparently lots of people knew. Uh, Jamaica, I know you're interested in the airport and you're a Kansas City, Missouri resident. How do you feel about this delay?
3: I think that we are getting a lot of excuses for things that we should have done due diligence on before we brought it to the voters. Because I remember sitting and listening to folks say, you know, are there going to be cost overruns? Have we projected for those? What are we going to do if this negotiation falls through? Because we were looking at Burns and Mac, and then we went to Edgemore. And then to think about um, Councilman Wagner holding up C-Track and um, Clark Construction, which is the project um, construction person over there, is... Having issues, They're $300 million over what they were supposed to be. Well, we picked them to do ours because Edgemore is a part of that. And we knew that they had issues in the past, so why didn't we account for that? So I just feel like our city council didn't do due diligence.
0: Jeremy, you think uh, voters are having second thoughts about a new airport? I don't think anybody's
4: having second thoughts about a new airport, but I think that they're having second thoughts likely about this process. I think, yes. um, you know, the, the hometown team... <clears throat> initially was thrown out of the process because they didn't match up with the master bond uh... burns uh, legislation McDonald's. burns and mcdonald but now the city council is looking at changing that and so if they're going to change that it seems to make sense to allow everybody to go ahead and come back into the process oh, for um, sakes! well right now the the current uh... folks are, are saying that it's going to be four billion dollars the casey star was all excited about how much money they saved him Burns and Mac and AECOM are coming back saying it's a little less than three billion dollars. If we can save money, and the only reason Burns and Mac was thrown out in the first place was because they wouldn't change the, the statute. Now they're going to change the
0: ordinance. Let's go ahead and get it well, back you, and, we're and
3: we're saying, say, say it. Annie, aren't go well?
0: Annie, it looks like you're not happy with the idea that this whole process might be scrubbed and started over.
5: Well, number one, we wouldn't even be where we are now had not the legislation passed that the voters supported.
0: Like 75% of the voters it. approved, right, yeah. They yeah. Lied
5: to. They, well, but they support it because they know it needs to be done. But there's an environmental assessment that hasn't been completed, just a demo, uh, Terminal A. The Eight airlines are negotiating among themselves. They pay for the entire airport. And if there is information that the city council is seen from others who could possibly bring the cost down, it may be worth evaluating, but at this point, I don't think there's any real value in it. I would think that the airlines,
4: the airlines are certainly going to be interested in saving over a billion and a half dollars, I would think. Um, but, they don't I, but if they, they feel will. like they're tied, their hands are tied now because we're tied to this really terrible process, well, I agree. think in the that's driver's the seat. city. If
5: they want it changed, they can get it changed. Patrick, you
0: were that. troubled by this from the outset, Years I remember you ago, talking yeah. about it. Uh, do you feel that your views have now been somewhat vindicated? I
2: mean, there's no satisfaction, and I don't know that anybody in Kansas City should be shocked that our city government is inept at handling a big project. Remember, we were told that the city wanted to handle this one billion dollar project at Burns and Mac without bids. It was
4: called a Swiss challenge. It was absurd, and we would have saved two billion dollars if we went ahead and did that process
2: in the first place. Why why would you be confident? Why would you be confident in anything the city hall tells you? Let me ask you this: Does anybody here believe that the reason for the delay is twenty million dollar baggage claim system? No.
3: Absolutely. Does not.
2: anybody here believe that public funds will not be used to build this airport? No. No. Okay. So you don't believe the two biggest arguments that will be given to you by the city. Why would you believe anything else? It's absurd. Does anyone here believe that time's up no. for this segment? Okay.
0: Apparently not. Does anyone believe that time's up for this segment? Yeah. No. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. okay I know that. <laughs> if you are relatively new to Kansas City or maybe too young, you may not know Clay Chastain's interesting background. Clay first came to public attention in the 1980s when he sought public support to repair then-crumbling Union Station. His plan never got to the ballot, but a bi-state tax plan did, and Union Station was restored. Chastain later got light rail questions on the ballot several times and has run for mayor unsuccessfully on several occasions. Well, he's running again for mayor this year. This time, he's taking on the Kansas City Star whose editorial board questions his credentials. Clay says a vote for him in April is a vote against the star. By the way, Clay is also an author. His book is titled Tilting at Windmills. Does that also describe his campaign for mayor, Annie?
5: No, that's an interesting question. That's why I asked it. (laughs) this tenacity among Kansas City there's just this group of people who love him saying what he says no matter how outlandish it is and they they he he has the willingness to stand at the grocery store to solicit enough signatures to get on the ballot over and over again but I'm not very confident that he's going to make much of a headway among the 12 candidates who are now running for mayor So as much as I appreciate all his ideas and his confidence that Kansas City can be the best city in America, I don't see that he will be our next mayor.
0: Let me put this same question to Jamika. The title of the book is Tilting at Windmills. It's about his efforts to get uh, Union Station restored. Does that title for his book pretty well describe his campaign for mayor?
3: Um, I'm going to say yeah, because he's probably tilting at windmills (laughs) Um, and kind of out there. So I I would say because it's airy. Um... <laughs> But with Clay Chastain, I think we give him too much attention. um, Well, he's a
0: bona fide candidate. But when he ran the the last
3: time, he garnered 6.2% of the vote. And there were only three people in the race at that time. So, it's not likely that Clay Chastain is going to garner enough support to actually become mayor. I think the important thing is to look at the issues that he's trying to put on the table. And I think those are valid issues, like TIF, um, the Economic Development Corporation, um, transportation, whether it's um, the airport or streetcar or even his thing, which is light rail. I think all those things are important. And as we are looking for our next mayor, those things need to be considered. So we should look at that, but not necessarily Clay. Patrick, despite
0: his eccentricities, does Clay Chastain bring to the table some good, interesting ideas?
2: Uh... I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if he has anything to offer that is... I mean, certainly the issues are important, but I don't know that he as an individual uh, brings anything to the table that other candidates don't already have. But I will remind people that the only streetcar or light rail uh, vote that ever won
0: citywide was his. And it was in 2006, and the city council later said, and there was a provision in the city charter that permitted this, that it could not be done. It was impossible to, to put it together the way that voters approved it so in the mayor's campaign we know the airports going to be an issue uh... jeremy what other issues might people be talking about i think one of the bigger things is going
4: to be the the idea of uh... affordable housing and transportation uh... in the city that seems to to get a a a big discussion point you know and when it comes to our, our our friend clay i'm sure many residents of virginia have great ideas about kansas city but i think the twelve candidates who, who actually live in the city will come forward with a number of great ideas and i think uh, certainly when it comes to affordable housing and transportation and transit funding i think those are big issues and big topics that that need serious candidates and serious discussion Annie, and how it.
0: how serious is the issue that clay spends at least part of the year in places other than kansas city mostly in virginia
5: well, apparently his family is in Virginia, but he um, canvasses regular, they canvass him regularly in Kansas City. He has an address here, it works, and he, the rules are applied to him just as they are to all other candidates. So he's a legitimate candidate for Kansas City despite having residency um, in Virginia part-time. But I think crime is a big issue that we need to be looking at. I think piggybacking on what um, the governor, governor is talking about. Infrastructure and also workforce development, those are big issues for this mayor's race as well.
0: Patrick, you follow local politics closely. Does this anti-STAR strategy, is that likely to work?
2: I don't know that the STAR plays a big enough role in municipal politics that that fighting them gets you any benefit, frankly.
0: All right, we'll move ahead to something else. The old (laughs) saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same may well be true. Despite all the upheaval since Donald Trump's election as president, a Gallup study of 13,000 Americans shows the split between Americans' political positions was about the same last year as the year before. 35% identify as conservative, 35% as moderate, 26% as liberal. That adds up to 96%. The other 4% either didn't understand the question or didn't care to answer it. The study shows the GOP increasingly conservative at 73%. The Democratic Party became majority liberal at 51% for the first time. So, what do you think about these numbers? Is it any surprise, Jeremy, that our government and our people seem increasingly at odds and divided? Well, I don't know that
4: that's an indicator of the, of the source of the division. It certainly is reflective of, I think, people's attitudes right now and people being hyper-aware uh, and sensitive to the political machinations and the political ongoings of the country. Um, we are sort of at a, t- at a time, and I think this is probably historically true, when people want to choose sides and want to choose a team. Um, and right now, I think our, our leaders in both parties are acutely... Um, um taking advantage of that in ways that are not constructive i 'm hopeful and optimistic that with new leadership here in the next couple of years in either party, but certainly in the White House. Um, that that this continuation towards uh, this division in our country will will lessen once we get uh, sort of more
0: mature adults running the, the nation. Well, what's going to change in the White House? They're not changing officials there. The president's going to be in office at least for another two years, yeah, unless two years. there's impeachment.
4: In two years, and, and I don't think that there's really much chance that, that this president could get elected in two years. Of course, I didn't think that there was much chance that he <laughs> right. would get elected before, but um, I think now that people have have had a chance to really digest it there there's a there's an awakening in this country and people are much more um acutely aware of the consequences of their voting decisions in a very
0: general sense annie how would you define liberal
5: Uh, you know i actually wrote down lots of government tax 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 that's what, how I define liberal.
0: How do you define the conservative?
5: I would say less government and, and fiscally conservative. And moderate? And moderate would be more government, still financially sound.
0: All right, Jamaica. same question to you. How would you define a liberal?
3: How did I know you were going to come to me? I, <laughs> Wait,
0: he
2: started
3: No, I knew. He, after you said that, I knew he was coming to me. Your um. intuition is strong. <laughs> so um, with liberals, I would say that's the party that is more focused on social equity. And with conservatives, I would say those are people who, and not party, but those are people who are more focused on the economy and um, morality. Because to me, liberals are often trying to create legislation that um, increases the level of social equity, or they're saying they want to. And conservatives are really focused on, and one of my co-hosts helped me to figure that out, um, how it looks for the economy. And making sure that we have um, legislation that legislates morality in a way that keeps us being the country they want us to be.
0: What about libertarians, Patrick? (laughs) What about libertarians? (laughs) I think maybe you're one.
2: I am not. I am not a libertarian. But I think the, uh, I am not optimistic that any adults are showing up soon in American politics. I think the the problem, uh, libertarians address this, is not who we have at the wheel, uh, but to extend the metaphor, the size of the car. Uh, my hope coming out of the, uh, the Trump administration, and by the way, I, I feel that Trump is a symptom of this problem, not a cause of it, is that uh, liberals and conservatives look and say, oh my gosh, the risk of, of creating huge, powerful government is that we, we might get somebody we really don't like at the wheel. And so my hope is that uh, uh, liberals and conservatives can agree that we need to shrink the role of the federal government, certainly shrink the role of the president, bring power back to the states uh, where we have more input into what goes on.
0: Well, the last time I checked, the government was still shut down, and I assume it is still shut down when the program appears on the air Thursday evening and probably again on Sunday morning. This is because of a dispute over the wall, primarily. Uh, Speaker Pelosi calls the wall immoral. Do you agree with that? Is a border wall immoral? I think from a lot of perspectives it's immoral
4: from the largest standpoint I think it sends an immoral message uh, to to other nations where uh, the Statue of Liberty is a moral uh, uh, symbol of the United States, whereas the the wall would be the exact opposite moral symbol and i think uh, from a standpoint of of just being wise with with financial resources it's immoral to waste that kind of money on
0: something that won't work. Annie, is a wall immoral?
5: I don't think a a wall is immoral. I actually believe that the wall replaces the laws that we're not enforcing. We use natural barriers, rivers, uh, mountains to use as a wall. We we have a tremendous wall in place already that has holes in it and if we fail to apply the laws as they now stand the walls become the area that, that the laws can be broken, so we what have happens, to choose. What we need when to choose. Mexico Are we gonna-
4: realizes that ladders exist.
5: Why well, don't? Know. Did you see? That? <laughs> Did you see the marine who said, "Okay, so you've got a 30-foot wall, and now what? You get over, you get to the top, and now what? I mean, it's not just like you just
3: jump over the wall. You take but, a ladder
4: and put it over you the, got the other side. I've t-
3: one billion dollars for a wall that is not going to cover all of the gaps and cover that entire part, that entire border. That's ridiculous. We have way too many things that we could put that money towards in this country. I'm that curious would to know what the fiscal conservative like thinks us. about the way the, the, the question world.
2: should be: Should we have open borders? And if the answer is no, then do we allow uh, ourselves to regulate who
0: crosses those borders? That's really the question. So yes the or, no. The yes or no. Yes or no. Do we have fences and walls up now along part of the southern border? Southern border? Tons. And they're yeah, designed miles. to. People if they're in immoral, certain directions. should they be torn down?
3: Um, I didn't say they're immoral, but I think it's ridiculous if they to ask immoral. for that money when we're not going to cover the whole border. Okay,
0: now we're going to have to <laughs> head to the soapbox for Roast and Toast, where the Rockettes have 30 seconds each to analyze, synthesize, or even compromise Let's start with Jamaica.
3: Mine is very easy today. I am toasting Kansas City Public Schools because. Um, my children go there um, and I worked hard to help us to get accredited and we have achieved the points for accreditation for the second time in three years for full accreditation and we hadn't done that previously for 30 years. So very exciting. Congratulations. That's great.
4: Jeremy. Uh, my toast is for the voters of Kansas who uh, this week ushered in a new era of progress, leaving behind an era of failed tax policies and economic ruin. They brought in a, a fantastic leader and Laura Kelly and uh, so congrats to Kansas. Kansas and a toast to Kansans and their very bright future. Patrick.
2: My toast is for the linemen of the KCP&L for their work restoring power to thousands of Kansas citizens following uh, the storm. These men worked long hours in brutal conditions. Events like this remind us of how much we take basic infrastructure for granted, but civilization is built and maintained by those men on the front lines and we ought never forget that.
0: Annie.
5: Mike, I am toasting Mayor Sly James. As his swan song going out of Kansas City, he wants to provide pre-K for all kids in Kansas City, Missouri. And I'm not sure his plan is perfect, but I really applaud him for trying because I know that if a kid gets to third grade and can't read, they will not graduate.
0: Finally, Democratic Congressman Robert Francis O'Rourke, who likes to be called Beto, is seen as a potential presidential candidate. He's keeping his fans updated by going on social media with coverage of his latest visit to a dental hygienist. I'm here
2: at the dentist, and we're going to continue our series.
3: Hi, I'm Diana. I was
5: actually
2: um, born. On the people of the border, I'm here with Diana.
0: Obviously, Beto is promoting tooth in advertising. And that's Ruckus for this week. Back next Thursday at 7. Now for the Ruckus and the crew, Mike Shannon saying thanks for watching and good night. Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, The Hartwig Family, Hush Blackwell, Barbara and Peter Gattermeyer, and by viewers like you. Thank you.